I believe that we will reach a world of abundance. And, and when we reach a world of abundance, maybe that will take 20, 30 years from now, then of course, uh, it's, it's a matter of how do you define yourself? Today, most people I know, they define themselves by the job they do. But I don't think that's the way we should define ourselves. It should be how you are as a global citizen. Welcome to Stories for the Future, a podcast on a mission to get you excited and optimistic about the years ahead, filled with challenges, but also so full of opportunities. My name is Veselmoy Klavnesberge, and in this season, I want you to get into action. We all have special superpowers, and we are all needed to get us back on track for a great future. So please join me in my search for the superheroes with the superpowers. And if you at some point think that, hmm, I could have done this, then go out and do it. Make that connection, write that email, start that company. With almost 8 billion superheroes on this planet, there's no way we couldn't make it. So let's start. It's game on. Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of Stories for the Future. I'm back from a week's winter vacation. Here in Norway, we have been up in the mountains doing some skiing. I have been freezing my fingers and toes off. That is my personal issue. I'm not really a Viking in that department, but it was very nice. But always great to be back and back to all my projects that I'm working with at the moment. And I will hopefully soon be sharing more around that. And actually, speaking of looking forward to getting back from a vacation and looking forward to Mondays, one of the things I'm working on now is very much tied to exactly that, namely excitement and joy around the work that we do. I'm absolutely sure that we accomplish more when we enjoy what we do. And if there's a time when we need to accomplish a lot, that time is definitely now, with everything happening around the world. Did you know that the average person will spend around 90,000 hours at work over a lifetime? One third of your life at work. So I think it is worth thinking through how you spend those hours. So you will definitely hear me talk more about this in the months to come. So my guest today is someone who I really admire. As I say at the start of our conversation, he is a little older than 25, but with everything he has done through his life and career, you would guess he would be a very old man. He is not. His name is Anne Schlier. He is Norwegian, but a real global citizen. Anders is an international impact investor and a leader in the field of innovation and technology. He has been pioneering early stage impact investing. He is co-founder of Catapult Group and he is an active angel investor. Anders believes that the best way to make the world better is through business dedicated to solving the big problems and providing value to humans and the planet. 
He has extensive experience as a CEO and with C-level roles in leading global software, technology and consulting businesses. His educational background is within economics and he is also a Singularity University alumni. He has also worked with girls' education in India with Nandi Foundation for over 15 years. I will just briefly mention that this recording was made weeks before the situation in the Ukraine escalated, so we're not touching upon that in this conversation. But this is a really good one, so I hope you enjoy. Here is my conversation with Anders Lier. A very warm welcome to you, Anders. I'm so happy that you had the time to talk to me today in a very, very busy schedule, I know. So thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. It's my pleasure. Great to be here. And are you are you at the moment sitting uh, on the opposite side of the Oslo Fjord? Are you in Fredrikstad? Yeah, yeah, I'm at the sunny coast of uh, the Oslo Fjord. It's a beautiful uh, winter day, but I, I could almost see over to you, actually. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. I could wave to you almost. So then yeah. we have we have placed you geographically, but then for mm. the rest, when I was preparing for this interview, mm. I as I normally do, I went into your LinkedIn profile. And you know when you have to when you look at people's work experience and you often have to expand the list to see everything on your page it said expand to see 33 more work experiences <laughs> so so i got a little <laughs> bit dizzy almost um i mean you're not 25 but with this list you could have been 112 <laughs> i think or something so i think you have to kind of take us uh, through the highlights and with you with this list i know this is a huge question but basically who are you and how did you end up doing what you do today yeah that's uh thank you it's a very big question who am i of course I'm a, I'm a father to Jenna and Simon, my two kids. I'm a husband to Hege, but I'm also kind of a, a global citizen. I'm a person that is a part of this planet and I want to be a responsible member of the society I live in, but also a responsible member of the society I operate in. So I'm a corporate dropout. I was in the corporate sector for 20 plus years. I enjoyed it. I travel the world. I uh, use technology to create business value for uh, large corporates. And uh, that was fun. It was amazing. You know, I'm a, an economics by background. And uh, my speciality is to kind of find business value with technologies. And I've, I was with Capgemini, Itera, very large tech and consulting firms. And I also I was the president and CEO of a very large uh, software company for the renewable energy space. And one of the great things about coming from Norway, there are many great things about coming from Norway, of course, but uh, we are kind of born in the most advanced energy market in the world. So the Nordics is kind of the Silicon Valley uh, of the energy market. And I was very, very lucky to be heading up a software company that had 450 utility clients all across Europe. And that was kind of taking me into the space of impact investing. But I'll tell you more about that uh, in, in a second. Mm. But Vesemay, I, I just wanted also to, to take another story. There's a TEDx talk on that, which I made in 2011. Yes, I've and, seen it. And, uh, yeah. 
Yeah, I, I would have to admit that I was very nervous when I made the talk. But it was, you know, I, I, I've been to India more than 100 times. And I kind of left my heart in India. I, I came there first time in 2003. And, you know, I was a frequent flying VP uh, in Capgemini. So I was traveling there on business in my suit. You know, you had all this... Uh, privileges when you kind of were a white male businessman coming into the country but you know i went and landed first time in the mumbai at the airport in the middle of the night and i think there were more people at that airport at 2 a.m in the morning than there are people in my city so it was so crowded so i was wow this is really a tons of people and uh, and then i jumped into the car it was of course a, a nice car they took me down to the Taj Mahal Palace and Towers, where a nice hotel downtown South Mumbai. But, you know, after 300 meters, we stopped in the crossroad on the highway, just out there. And then we stopped on a red sign, and I saw four or five small uh, children playing in the street, 2 a.m. in the morning. And they, they barely had any, they didn't have any clothes, and I was just totally shocked. So... I was actually started crying and I was thinking, what, what, what is this about? This is really, really, which is not acceptable. We should do something about it. And I, I didn't really know what to do about it because I was kind of blown away about this very difficult life they have. And, and then I, I was thinking about this and back and forth. I had some flights. I, I looked into it and then I decided I need to do something about that. And I decided with my dear friend, and uh, now I'm naming as my brother, Manoj Komar, I decided to support the girl child education of India. I mean, they're, they're uh, very, very sadly, they're, the, the girls of India are discriminated, discriminated very badly. Mm-hmm. And they are even killed because they are, are, are girls in some, some occasions. So I decided to support a program called the Nani Kali. Nani Kali means flower bud. In, in Hindi, and, and we worked on that. And there are some amazing people working on that. And today we have 250,000 girls in the program. Wow. But what I learned, Veslema, was that initially we kind of did this as a grants-giving charity program. Mm. And, and uh, that was fine. We gave the, girl, the girls education, and it was from, from first to tenth standard. It was a private-public partnership. But you cannot really stop giving the girl child education, let's say, in the midst of those 10 years. You have to commit to, to fulfill it. And, and we wanted to scale the program because the, the challenges are so massive. So we wanted to kind of, we needed to reach so many girls. So we turned this from grants giving into what we call social for profit. Or, uh, and that is what I name Impact Investing today. Mm. And when we kind of cracked the codes, we started selling the education to these uh, parents. And then made a kind of a commercial model out of it. Then everything scaled much, much faster. We had the most demanding customers in the world. And, and we don't take much of profit, but that's at least a way that you could actually scale the program. Yeah. Wow. I think you, you, uh, you answered my next question, actually, because I, I, I watched the TED Talk, as I said, so I knew about this uh, program. And uh, I, I have been especially interested in those like uh, pivotal moments ever since I did that, uh, like 180 degrees uh, transition in my own career at back in 2016. And to me, mm. this, I call it a coconut moment. Like when you suddenly realize something, a light bulb mm-hmm. goes off and you, you get some new information or you have an experience like you had that kind of changes your 
your path in some way. Yeah. So would you call that kind of a coconut moment for you when you... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, when you talk about the coconut moment, I had s several of them, of course. Mm. Uh, one was actually going back to my grandmother. Guided was her name. And she was a very, very strong woman. And, and she was actually working on a mental hospital uh, in, in Norway. And she was doing... Uh, all this kind of support work and education work for people that had mental problems. And she was very active at work at a period of time that most women were in the kitchens and back in homes. And she was a very, very strong woman. And I didn't really realize it before I became a grown-up, but she was a very strong role model to me. And then I saw my mom that also took a, a, a master's degree when she was 40, after she got uh, four boys. Four wow. boys. <laughs> and then she took education when, when she was in the 40s. And, and I saw from my grandmother, Gerd, Mamma, Björg, and I saw these women around me, and they were so strong, and they did quite some remarkable achievements. I mean, there were very, very few ladies at work at that point of time. Mm. I think that was a coconut moment to me, I, but I never, never actually thought about it. I think I thought that was how it should be. So I've been yeah. very privileged being around very, very strong women. And it's influenced me a lot. But back to 2016, year a year. Yeah. That was also my co coconut year. Oh, great. <laughs> because, uh, yeah, <laughs> it was a good, good year for me. Being, being, being this, uh, running this software company, which was owned by a private equity firm and, and me and my management team. And then we made an exit. And, you know, after 20 plus years in the same industry, you think about life, what should you do? And, and, and I went to Singularity University in California. Yes. And I, you, you probably, yeah, yeah. I yeah, I have it on my list here. So, yeah, let's talk about that. Please. You should go. You should go yeah. to Singularity. And, yeah. You know, I'm a, I'm a tech nerd. I love technology. And, and, and I was been thinking, how, how can we scale stuff much, much faster? And I learned that on, on the girl child education in India. We changed the business model. So it scaled. But what, what I learned when I, I met with Peter Diamandis, uh, Ray Kurzweil, and all these amazing people there, is that we could also solve grand challenges of the planet using very, very advanced technologies, mm -hmm. and meaning exponential technologies. And, and, you know, if you do, all of us understand linear thinking. So if you take 30 linear steps from where you sit today, you probably reach, you know where you reach in your house. But if you take 13 exponential steps, Meaning that every step, it's, it's so uh, difficult to understand how far that takes us. But I think that takes us around 25 laps around the, the moon or something. It's, it's really kind of mind-blowing. So that was a coconut pivotic uh, moment for me mm. because I, I, I wanted to kind of go into areas where you, you work with great ideas that has the ambition to, uh, to kind of really solve the big problems of the world. Mm. And, and then I decided to become a venture investor. And I met a, a very, very good, interesting man called Tarald Nusta. Very visionary gentleman. Many people in Norway know him. He's kind of, he was kind of one of the first globally that wanted to use impact investing for early stage and exponential tech. So we did that together and we built Catapult. Uh, and Catapult is an impact investing early stage tech uh, accelerator. But I have to tell you one more story. Because uh, the same year, the same, <laughs> same autumn, actually in August, I also went to Burning Man. 
Yes. I'm, uh, I'm not what, sure what if is that familiar really? to it. I've heard about <laughs> it, but I don't really understand it. What it is. No. It's so hard to describe what it is, but it's mm. kind of a, it's, it's a huge gathering. Uh, it's more like a big community in a, in, in a temporary village in, in, the, in the desert, uh, the Black Rock City. Uh, and it's out there in the desert. And it's kind of a, a place where you have radical inclusion. You don't have a, a monetary uh, setup. So it's a gifting society. And it's for uh, free spirits and liber- liberated minds. So it started back, I think, in the 70s or 80s for tech people that uh, gathered in San Francisco. And then it became too large, so they moved into the city. Uh, and it's, uh, it's a very open-minded uh, place to go. And uh, I met fantastic people that are friends of mine now. And, and I was thinking, yeah, I have to do a change. I will become an impact investor. I will do venture. I will leave the corporate space. That's why I, I name myself as a corporate dropout. I think it's the most inclusive uh, community in the world and it's very, very open and, and free spirits, but it's for kind of everyone. Mm-hmm. Now it's kind of become all the all the tech billionaires of US are going in, but I mean, great people from all around the world is coming in. I think there were around 70,000 people there when I was there. So for me, it was, uh, an, it opened many doors yeah. and to, to my, to my, my doors in my, in my mind, but also to a lot of new great friends around the world. Fantastic. I, I would like to go back to what you talked about exponential thinking or exponential mm-hmm. growth, because I had that further down related to Singularity University, because the other day I was listening to this podcast, a Norwegian podcast about climate, and they talked about this new uh, data that came out or a report saying that the global average temperature is already at 1.25 degrees mm-hmm. Celsius, more than pre- pre-industrial time. So it's adjusted up, it's actually worse than we thought. So listening to mm. this, and I really think that we, we should, it was a climate scientist talking about this, and we should listen to the scientist. But it, it gave me this kind of numbing feeling, you know. So what I do then, I always search for some inspiration or something that can make me feel that I can actually do something myself. So I went into this, I think it's called carb, um uh, pro- project breakthrough or something is an old mm. page. I found it years ago. And for instance, Peter Diamandis is there and they talk about exponential growth. And that really inspires me because, you know, this exponential growth is often hard to spot. It's slow and then boom, suddenly. So we have exponential growth in a lot of the systems that we don't want to have it in, like in mm, mm. CO2 emissions and population and biodiversity loss. But we also have it in the tech development sector. Yeah. So how do you look at that? And does, because that kind of gives me hope. How, yeah. how do you look at that? I, I would say that uh, this is a key of everything I try to do. And, and uh, this is uh, what keeps me up at night, but also keeps me very optimistic. I think that uh, but back in 2016, I decided that I'll spend all my time on trying to solve the grand challenges of the world. And as you can see that you have the UN SDGs uh, behind you in mm. your room. Mm. And, and my investment framework is the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. And, but I think that 
the, it's, it's especially climate is very worrisome, and and uh, I don't think we will be able to stop at one and a half Celsius. Unfortunately, I think that we we might reach it and 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 be there for Europe. But there are so many emerging uh, economies around the world that uh, that will actually lift themselves up to higher living standards, and we cannot really deny them to 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 increase their living standards. I mean, that's not for us to tell them not to mm. grow. So, but but there is a problem that we 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 count kind of everything we do in in growth. And I think we need to think differently about growth and 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 see how we kind of our living standards has to be looked upon differently. But back to the exponential topic, are we going to make? It? I think so. Uh, but but the key question: Are we going to make it on time? Uh, I'm I'm quite worried about that. I just recently came back from COP26, mm-hmm. and and it was a it's a good meeting, and there were good discussions, and some few good good outcomes. But I don't think that the the outcomes are forceful enough to make it. And you know, I'm I'm a business guy. I I always kind of been in business. I I believe in kind of impact investing. There's a strong correlation between doing good and and financial return. And the good thing about leaving COP26 was that after I met with all these business executives, I mean, they see in the opportunity of making tons of money by mm-hmm. doing doing good good stuff for the world. And and I actually I was there at the dinner hosted by the global CEO of McKinsey. His name is Bob. I was very lucky and fortunate to 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 be at the dinner table with one of the heads of BlackRock, Sandy Bals, uh, Berge, which is head of World Economic Forum, but also Al Gore. But I think that what we do, we, we lack efficient tools to measure where we are. Sustainability is a data problem. And, and the good thing about that is that we have exponential technologies that could actually help us to find where we are, measure, okay, this is actually our footprint. And when we know our footprints, we also know what, what the measures we should take and what are the results of the measures we should take. Yeah, pretty long answers to your question, but I, I, I think that exponential uh, tech is a key to solve it. But but I could add one more thing uh, or a couple more things about exponential because it's not about technology uh, only. Of course, that's that's a very important tool, but I think it's also about exponential thinking and exponential mindsets. Because of course, you and we, we, we work hard, we, we work with the resources we have, but it's also a matter of how you, how can you actually build on resources you don't have? How can you actually uh, mobilize resources around you and build communities, big, build decent communities that are stepping stones for others to kind of grow? So, so we are thinking a lot about how can you actually build an exponential organization? Mm. And partner partner with great like-minded people uh, with with the same value platform, but with different knowledges and complementary skill sets. So I think that uh, we will make it. I'm optimistic, but there's no time to waste. We really need to jump on the exponential curves. Yes, and you're you're doing that also with your latest. projects. No, it's not fair to call them projects, endeavors, perhaps energy, AI and Propel uh, group. Yeah. Right. Could you yeah. could you talk a little bit about that? Because um, as you said, sustainability is a data problem. I read that on your web page mm. as well. And how you say on your I think it was a LinkedIn post you had yesterday. Our to do list is very simple slash CO2. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> so how, how do you do that? How does it work? 
Yeah, okay, well, great. I mean, I will answer you, but just a little bit of a back- backdrop. I mean, yeah. I was very for- fortunate to, to be a part of building Catapult. I was the co-founder of Taral, some amazing people there, Håkon, Per Martin, Ida, Nina, all of them. And, and the Norwegian listen- listeners or <laughs> the one in Impact Investing know these amazing people. And, and you know, uh, we invested in early stage companies. And when we started doing this in 16, people were thinking, wow, are you crazy? Uh, this is really, this will not fly. But but a couple of weeks ago, we, we actually got our two first unicorn in, in those funds. One is Asusu which provides credit building platform to help low-income customers gain access to previously inaccessible financial services. Actually created 240x multiple for, for that investment in, in three and a half years. Wow. So we're proud of that. And we also invested in a company called Burn to Give. It's a change name to Betterfly. And they are a purpose-driven benefit platform to reward healthy habits with charitable donation, etc. And, and that was a 60x a return in two and a half years. <laughs> so these things actually then created a, up to 20x on, on one of our funds. We built five funds. And, and I learned a lot about that and how to actually identify great talents. We invest in talents and team, of course. But I was also thinking, is, it, is there a way to, to actually jump on that exponential curve and do it even faster? And, you know, I was trained like a business executive and a management consultant. And then I did venture accelerators. But I also learned that there is a way that do this even faster. And that's called the startup studio. So Propel is a startup studio. And it's proven that studios could actually take a company from zero to series A in half the time compared to an accelerator and also double the uh, return, financial return. So that's kind of the backdrop of the studio, Propel Studio. And I want to kind of create long-term value for stakeholders. And I think the only way to discover the limits of the possible is to venture into the seeming, seemingly impossible. Can we beat those returns I just talked about? Mm-hmm. But I think that the essence of innovation progress is exactly this, to venture into the seemingly impossible. Uh, what we want to achieve with um, the Propel Studio is kind of ideate, ideate, build, boost, and scale ventures. And it's much more about scaling up than accelerating a startup. Mm. So and uh, I hope to kind of identify next generation visionaries to solve, that want to solve global, global problems. And for us, it's about bringing leading practices and research into businesses and help them in a collaborative approach. So that's kind of pretty much our why. On the how, I would say that we, we put up a systemic way and enable these uh, companies to solve these challenges. So it's about mix uh, bringing the ideas and the people and the capital together mm. and using the core team of Propel to, which is an international network of experts to to take them from the ID to build build the company. Mm. Yeah. So so that's about uh, Propel, and uh, you had a question about energy AI too. I think that the, the the structure we built now is of course to to make massive impact for people and people and planet. And and I I talked about this thing about that sustainability is a data problem. Mm. 
And that is what Energy.ai is about. So that's one of the six companies we launched in Propel last year. The, the studio got launched several companies. But uh, I'm, of course, since I came come from the software sector of new renewable energies from Enora, now I'm super excited about Energy.ai. So we're going to mm. make fully automated carbon accounts. And it's really exciting. Uh, I'm I'm paying close uh, close attention. And your your what's your what's the next thing in energy AI? Are you launching something soon? Yeah, yeah, it's super exciting. I mean, we are going to launch this automatic, fully automated carbon accounts for uh, sixty seven thousand companies in Norway and Sweden later on this month. That is unheard of. We haven't seen anything like that globally anywhere. And of course, I mean, companies lack efficient tools to measure their CO2 footprint, but they also lack tools to reduce, replace, and remove carbon emissions. Mm. And you and I, we are on this call because we fully understood that there is a code red for humanity. Mm. That, that's a no-brainer, we know that. But you also see that there are increasing CO2 taxes. I, I think that's a good thing. And there are upcoming regulations. There are for big firms like the Fortune 500, the stock listed, but they're coming more and more regulations. We welcome that. At the same time, you have all these uh, big corporate executives that go out and state clearly, we will become net zero by 2030. But how can you state that if you don't have a measure of where you are today? Yes. So most companies do not really know where they are. Mm-hmm. And I'm worried because there's so much greenwashing happening right now. I also posted a link on that, or, uh, an article on LinkedIn recently about that, mm. where someone actually measured the top 25 companies in the world that about their, uh, what do you say, how thorough they are in reaching the net zero. It was only one company out of 25 that had had this really thorough approach, and that was Mashk, the shipping company. Mm-hmm. But the rest, they don't have it. And I think one of the key is that sustainability is a data problem and we need those efficient tools. That's what we're going to fix. So, I mean, we are super excited. We are backed by amazing people. We have uh, great investors, but we also work with McKinsey. We work with Anne Rosenberg. We work with the Swedish Environmental Institute and we have great customers in uh, the real estate space, etc. And I mean, this is a global problem. So our company will actually go global. And it's not about solving something inside Ring 3 in Oslo. That's a very poor ambition, I would say. Mm. And and it's a full global scope of energy.ai. And uh, yeah, just stay tuned. Tons will happen. Yes. Oh, exciting. So a little bit back to the more the values. You have this, you have this 11 principles on your, on energy AI website. And I love them all, but I, I would like to highlight number eight and number 11 because they're very related mm-hmm. to, to this podcast and what I, I want to like talk about. And, and number eight is to embrace that the one constant thing is change. And the yeah. other one, number 11 is to have fun. <laughs> so, <Yeah>. so these <laughs> two, like embracing change as a positive thing. And that we yeah. actually can have a lot of fun as we are solving these huge problems. Mm-hmm. I think that is so important. So am I right? Uh, and how that, that this is important for both your companies or maybe everything that you're working on now. And that, and how do you think that we can become better as a society or, 
or or spread that that embracing change is a good thing and also see all the positive aspects and the fun mm. in in mm. go in that going forward <laughs> long question yeah yeah but a great question i mean uh, i would like to start with with our last principle to have fun <laughs> mm. i mean life is very short yeah. uh, and 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 we should really enjoy it while we have it and uh, i feel that and that is a quote which i got from my daughter that i the the flow zone starts where the line of the comfort zone ends <laughs> yes and i always enjoy that uh, a lot and when i did my ted talk i was very nervous to be honest Mm-hmm. And it was like, okay, I prepared for a couple of days. But when I did it, I felt so happy. It was great. And I also kind of, I, I had my voice out there. But I love to giggle. I love to laugh out loud. I, I love to kind of break the, the, the serious environment with some kind of uh, jokes, etc. But I also think that for me, fun is not about being the clown with the red nose. Mm-hmm. It's It's about kind of having very very solving very difficult challenges intellectual challenges mm. uh, and 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 do intellectual stimulating work and solve the, the hardest problem i could find the hardest problem on on the planet so that's is also for me fun maybe it's not the right word but if i translate it to norwegian it feels like that is yeah. fun for me but it's it's very much linked to to principle eight uh, about kind of things are constantly changing and the only thing, and I try to tell my children that the only thing I know is that there will be changes all the time. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Maybe I could predict it. Maybe I could read some trends, etc. But I mean, the earth is spinning and the energy is flowing. The planet is changing. And evolution takes hundreds and thousands of years. So things are moving at different, change are moving at different pace. But one thing that is constant is the change. And mm. um, I've been reflecting a lot about this, especially. I mean, I, I, I'm a super privileged guy. I'm a white male in, in a very, very good part of the world and a very rich part of the world. And I feel that many people around me are kind of exploded out of the Maslow's needs of hierarchy. So people are so content and people don't know what drives them. And it's, I don't want to be negative, but it's so easy to kind of end up in your coach watching Netflix yeah. and, and be happy. <laughs> and, and I don't think uh, that that is what we should do. I think we have, and I have a very, very strong obligation to do something, bring something back and make, make a big change. Yeah. So I, I think that that is kind of why we put up those principles. Yeah, great. And do you think that we in Norway or in this part of the world that we will be kind of the, the last people to really see the seriousness of the situation and that we have to like step up because we are so content and privileged. Yeah, but I mean, I, I, I have been very privileged the last uh, years with Catapult. Uh, we screened more than 10,000 startups and for mm. every batch we invested, I mean, we invested in 12 companies at the time. We kind of I think I, I interviewed 30 to 40 companies. So we've been very lucky to meet so many people. And I mean, I'm very optimistic about the young, young next generation. There's so many young visionaries. But mm. what, what absolutely, they deserve jobs that do not disillusion them from day one. Yes. And, and we need to encourage them to, to bring their original ideas 
and, and, and actually use them to, to do good for the planet. So yeah. there are different levels to it. And I mean, my generation, when we went to business school, I think that nine out of 10 or maybe even more wanted to become a CEO. And they were more concerned about making a career, get a big salary, paycheck, and then, and then go, go into material life. But I think that most young people I meet today are much more conscious than I, my generation was. So I'm mm-hmm. very optimistic. And, and the, the, the young generation, they will actually take, they will lift it. But, so it's much more about the change for my generation. Uh, and and uh, but we, luckily we have a, com- a long way from the revealed education paradigm centered around the mindless repetition. We use uh, agile thinking. We take yeah everything we learn from disruptive uh, approaches uh, from startups etc. This comes now more and more into our daily business life and even from corporates. I've been very fortunate working closely with McKinsey the last six months and also impressed about their ability to actually change their model and, and actually how they, they act. So I think that the big companies, they will move, but they will move because they have these youngsters that are pushing them very hard. Yeah, that's good. It's uh, great to hear that you feel optimistic and that's a very good transition to my my three last questions. And the first one okay. is, is you're the movie director of the movie called 2030, The Ideal version. <laughs> so how would you set the stage for what, how does the world look like in 2030? And I chose that year because it's not that far away. And a lot of people are talking about 2030 as this year that we have to accomplish a lot of things. So what does it look like? And how ha- has your work helped us get there? Okay, that's a, a quite interesting movie. I'm not sure if I'm <laughs> the right one to make it. But I mean, I'm, I'm super worried about another topic which we haven't talked about it. And that is the the, the really crazy polariz- polarization we see in the political landscape globally. Mm. So these, these kind of tears down the great pillars of our democracies. And, and I think that if you do not do something about this model that kind of comprises the economic, the social policies and, and, and the cultural practices, uh, we, 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 we are on a totally wrong way. Very negative to the previous uh, period of, uh, of how po- uh, US politics developed and still is. But we also see it quite a lot in, in Europe. We have political leaders in countries I used a lot. Uh, I have been working a lot in Hungary. Uh, I'm very negative what's going on over there. And, and I think that we need to kind of have a, a comprehensive welfare state and a multi-level collective bargaining that kind of are based on the economic foundation and social corporatism. I, I'm talking this language because this is the Nordic model. And mm. it's not it's not kind of by, by coincidence that the Nordic countries scores the highest on trust, on a great place to live, etc., etc., because we kind of built a, a, a I would say, a, a systemic model, a society model that are built on trust. Mm. And, and I think that the trust has to come back to the society. We need to kill that polarization, take it down. And, and for, for me, I think that if we could build a world where we have trust, we have trust each other. And this is also 
And luckily, now evolving into the Web3 model with distributed auto autonomous organization. So I also can see that there are elements of commercial opportunities in technology from the innovation space, from Silicon Valley and other places that could underline and support building uh, a global uh, model of trust. No, I think that uh, it, it, if, you, if you trust people, you know the, their intentions. And if you, you are really, truly genuine about your intentions about doing good for the planet, mm. uh, then I think that everyone will actually be able to pay it forward. Mm. That's what I learned from the, the startup world. That Actually, I don't think that term was uh, even in the corporate space at all, to pay it forward. At least I didn't pick it up for more than 20 years. Mm. So if you have a world where actually you have the trust, and we have this thing about clear intention, openness and, and clarity about intentions, and then people pay it forward. I think that we will actually be able to fix the problems we have today, mm -hmm. and we will continue being a green planet and a white planet because I love skiing, so we need snow yeah. in the winters. Uh, and, and then it will be a better place where we actually could have a high, high level of mental health. The, the temperature is stop, uh, rising. And, and, and we, we are kind of more happy. It's the, 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 the world all of us dream about. But mm. I think at the end of the day, we all are in the pursuit of happiness. And, and of course, then you kind of have to clear out everything which is at the bottom layers of the, the, the needs of hierarchy from Maslow. Mm. But, but there's tons of things that has to be fixed. But at the same time, if you look back to Peter Diamandis and his theory of abundance, etc., I believe that we will reach a world of abundance. And, and when we reach a world of abundance, maybe that will take 20, 30 years from now. Then, of course, it's, it's a matter of how do you define yourself? Today, most people I know, they define themselves by the job they do. Yes. But I don't think that's the way we should define ourselves. It should be how you are as a global citizen. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's a good one. I will remember that one. Uh, <laughs> so, so if there's one thing that you would like people to do after listening to this episode it could be small or big or just to contact somebody or do something because this season mm. in the podcast is about action stop talking start acting what would that one thing be I think that it's also a very very good question I think that I think that if, if you could ask yourself what what is my personal social responsibility mm. What do I want to contribute to, to a better planet? I don't really care if it's a small thing or a big thing. I think the most important that we have to mobilize everyone on the planet to, to contribute and have a clear personal social responsibility. So how do people follow you or pay attention to what you're doing now and energy AI or, or if they would like to get in touch with you? What's the best yeah, way to yeah. contact you? Please just reach out to me. I'm, I'm easy to reach at mm. Anders at energy.ai. Uh, but, but please also follow me uh, on uh, LinkedIn. I, I write my newsletters. I posted my newsletter there today. And, and then you could actually follow me there. So but reach out to me. I'm here. I think it, it's, it's a clear responsibility I have to contribute back. And I don't want to see young visionaries on fire sale. Uh, I, that was my, my headliner today and I see that a lot and I want to kind of help uh, or contribute to young visionaries 
to, to move into solving grand challenges on, the, on, on, on this planet. So please reach out anytime. Thank you. Great. I will post oh. everything in the show notes so that people can find it. And thank you so much for your time. I'm so grateful that you took the time to talk to me on a busy day. So thank you yeah. very much. No, it was a great pleasure. Keep up the good work, Vershmai. Talk soon then. So that's it. That was a huge boost of inspiration for me, and I hope you felt the same. I really resonate with what Anders said about how we should all define ourselves by how we are as global citizens, not primarily by our specific career or workplace. I also think that everything we talked about regarding exponential thinking is so, so interesting. And if you haven't already, I recommend reading more about it. I will put some links in the show notes for you to check out. Alongside with links to other things mentioned in this episode. Next week, I will share more with you about what I'm working with at the moment. And as I mentioned, it has to do with the 90,000 hours we spent at work. So stay tuned. Talk to you soon. Stories for the Future is made and edited by me, Veslemøy Klavnesperge. You will find all links and information for this episode and everything else related to this podcast on storiesforthefuture.no. If you enjoyed this episode, hit subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you would like to show your support and make it easier for other people to find this podcast, I would be really grateful if you would leave a review. You can also follow me on Instagram, Facebook and LinkedIn at Stories for the Future. Until next time, go out and make a dent in the world. There's work to be done and impact to be made. And we can actually have a lot of fun along the way. <laughs>